This is Growing Your Successful Business, the podcast for you, the entrepreneur, to learn valuable lessons from the experiences of fellow business owners sharing the secrets of their success and the critical lessons they have learned along the way, as well as experts giving their advice on how to navigate the pitfalls in their industry to help you better run your business. Here's your host, Brian Harding. Hey now, and good day. Thanks for stopping by to check out our little podcast. We sure appreciate it. Don't be afraid to tell a friend, an associate, and subscribe, share, rate, and review, all that fun podcasty stuff that we always talk about. Uh, and a reminder, you can find my information at growingyoursuccessfulbusiness.com or brianlharding.com. You can find all the different listening platforms there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Uh, there's about a million and a half of them now. You can find them all there. You can also shoot me an email if you have a question or you have somebody you want me to talk to on the podcast you think would be good at brian at brianlharding.com. Today, we're going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to uh, we're gonna get a little introspective here. We've got a really cool guest for you. I can't wait for you guys to hear his story. He's got a fantastic, amazing story. Um, with me today is Dean Smith. Welcome, Dean. Thank you so much, Brian. Dean Smith is a high-performance life leadership and business coach. He was the subject of an award-winning documentary that captured his journey to forgive, reconcile with, and help save the life of a man that murdered his mother. Live to Forgive is the name of the film, and it's available at livetoforgive.com. Make sure you check that out. It's a pretty incredible story. Um, and with a diverse and extra, extraordinary background in professional sports, entrepreneur, entrepreneurialism, good Lord, that's a hard word to say, and high-end high sales, Dean Smith has dedicated his life through ministry, life coaching, and as a keynote speaker to transform and empower leaders to live and perform with passion and purpose. Dean has helped thousands of people around the nation experience breakthroughs in their business and personal lives that they never thought were possible. As a certified high-performance coach, Dean gives his clients structure, encouragement, accountability, and tools to overcome any obstacle to reach their goals. Check him out at deansmithcoaching.com, or you can shoot him an email at dean at deansmithcoaching.com if you want to reach out to him. He's got a great, uh, great uh, myriad of things to offer, folks. So I recommend you reach out to him whenever you can. And again, Dean, welcome. Uh, I'm going to just turn it over to you. You got a, you got a heck of a story, and I'm not even sure where to start with what you got. So why don't you just um, commence to giving it to us, man? Making love out of nothing at all. Oh, and he's a fantastic singer. I forgot to mention yes, that. Really, oh, really good singer. I should mention to folks listening who don't know, obviously, uh, you and I, um, our history, which I guess is not a rich history or, or broad history, but you and I went to high school together. Yep. You were a year older than me. Um, you're always about a foot and a half taller than me. We played football together. Um, I didn't know your story when we went to school, and you probably didn't know who I was going to school. And uh, we got together, I don't know, two months ago or so, something like that. We're kind of both doing similar, not sim not similar, but similar kind of things. And we got together for a cup of coffee one day, and and here we are. So that's how that's how I got lucky enough to get the Dean Smith on my little podcast. Oh so. yeah. Anyhow, I won't interrupt you anymore. You go ahead and tell us tell us uh, your story because, like I said, I don't even know where to start. Thanks, Brian. So th think about it for you listeners out there. Think about those days in your life where no matter how many years go by, you can still look back and remember every little detail. For me, Brian, that day was February 11th, my sixth grade year. I was here in this town, Enumclaw, Washington, at Southwood Elementary School, and I got called into the principal's office uh, this this crystallizing moment of my childhood. I, I walk into the principal's office and I'm greeted by a man who looks vaguely familiar. He walks up to me. Um, uh, uh, hi, Dean. Um, uh, um, hi, I'm, I'm Pastor Rex. Uh, I don't know quite how to tell you this, son, but um, you need to go to the hospital. Something's happened to your mom. Now, 
the reason that my heart sank when I was in sixth grade, and it really still sinks today, even though I've got to tell this story quite a few times, is up until this point in my life, my mom had been married four times already in sixth grade, and there was boyfriends in between the husbands. Right. So, and they all had crazy jobs. So we're always moving around all the time. Things were always changing, getting used to new schools, getting used to new father figures, trying to make new friends. But the one thing I could count on, the one thing that meant everything to me was my mama. I right. love my mama. Yeah. So uh, Pastor Rex brings us to the Harborview Medical Center. We walk in. My mom has bandages around her head. You can hear the and the and uh, I just did what little kids do who watch a lot of TV, and I just cried out to a God I didn't know, you know, begging, please, God, please don't let my mom die, please. What had happened was earlier that morning, my fourth stepdad, Bob, who'd been my stepdad for about two years, he and my mom got into a horrible argument. And in a fit of rage, Bob walked down the hall, opened my bedroom door, opened my closet, and grabbed the Christmas present I'd just gotten two months earlier, which was a baseball bat. And so on February 11th of my sixth grade year, uh, while my classmates were just getting out of fifth period, I watched my mom take her last breath of life. Wow. So going back to remembering every little detail, I'm, it's about a half hour after my mom is pronounced dead and I'm eating a triangular vending machine egg salad sandwich. And Pastor Rex is across from me. I've got tears running down my cheeks and egg salad in my mouth. And that small voice inside my head was as clear and as loud as it could possibly be. I'm going to grow up big. I'm going to grow up strong. I know Bob is going to go to prison, but I know someday he'll get out. And when he does, I'm going to be there waiting for him, either to kill him Right. Or at least beat him within an inch of his life. But I thought, I'm going to hang on to this anger. I'm going to use it as fuel. I'm going to use it as motivation. Fast forward, uh, I was so blessed. A miracle in my life was that that pastor asked me to be his son. So I got to join his family of four with his two kids and wife. And I went from being this wild and crazy kid to this wild and crazy pastor's kid. Right. Which was, uh, you know, my fifth and final dad gave me all the love you could possibly imagine. Just the best dad ever. He's my hero. And... On the outside, I was the happiest kid you could ever see. You know. Yeah, I remember you being super happy-go-lucky, and you were always the guy making people laugh, and and uh, um, you people just gravitated towards you because of your your energy and your fun and goofiness and all that kind of stuff. And uh, hence my not knowing what you were really dealing with. I had no idea. I'm sure I'm the only person in town who didn't know. You know, was a small town, and yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that people just were drawn to you. So it's interesting to think on the inside, I wanted to kill a dude, you know, and people couldn't see that. And if, you th- if we think about our own lives, a lot of times we don't let those secret little, those little desires or that small voice on the inside get out, right? So in high school, I looked like the happy, I was voted class clown my senior year, right, Brian? So uh, yeah, not l- most likely to succeed, but yeah. class clown. But in college, all of a sudden, you know, in high school, I was able to deal with the inner turmoil by just being distracting myself and being funny all the time. But in college, I needed something a little stronger to deal with that inner turmoil sure. and to anesthetize what was happening on the inside. So I got really into drugs and alcohol. I got married at the age of 20, divorced at the age of 22. Uh, and I started hanging out with people I, you know, never should have been hanging out with and doing things that you think only losers do. Right. Uh, and I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, I had a dream, Brian, deep in my heart going back to like 15, I wanted to be on stage and I wanted to inspire people. I wanted to be an inspirational speaker and I wanted to help people with my story and I wanted to be like my dad, my fifth and final dad who I watched in front of uh, hundreds of people thousands of times right. do his thing and 
the more I let the in the unforgiveness and the bitterness on the inside of me just sit there, the more it grew and the more control of my life it got. So I made a choice. I made a choice to start a forgiveness process. And long story short, I was able to forgive the man that murdered my mother. And because of that, it led to a chain of breakthroughs um, in business, in my personal life, in my spiritual life, in my relationships that we, you know, we may end up talking about. Um, but fast forward, you know, in the absence, and this is, it's so funny, we're talking to business owners and I'm talking about unforgiveness. They're like, uh, dude, did I turn yeah, into it's the, a, it's the, the wrong the, show? Um, what are we doing here? Well, consider that, you know, no matter if you're an entrepreneur or business owner and you have bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment on the inside, you think it's not bothering you. Well, first of all, it's like a volcano, an active volcano, right? It's rumbling. It's, it's, it's affecting you in some way. So the cool thing is in the absence of bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment, there's now room for something else. There's room for more passion. There's room for more love. There's room for more energy. There's room for more productivity. There's room for more focus. Right. And so that's what happened to me. And so again, long story short, I was compelled to reach out to Bob. He got out of prison in 97 and in 2006, I reached out to him, called him on the phone. And here's what I said, verbatim. Hello, Bob, it's me, Dean. Um, I know that you heard for many years that I wanted to kill you, but I want you to know that I have totally forgiven you. I want you to know that uh, I believe that in a personal and spiritual development journey, God's helped me to forgive you. And I just have a feeling you haven't forgiven yourself. And I know this is going to sound crazy, but I still believe you have a purpose for your life. And if you'd let me, I'd love to help you forgive yourself so you can walk in that purpose. How old are you at this point? I, uh, it's 2006, and I'm 45 here in 2019. So what's the math on that puppy? 30-something. 30 33-ish? 30, yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty mature for 33. I, I, well, we'll, uh, we'll get to all the hows and whys and all that kind of stuff. So 33 years old, you reach out to this man who literally beat your mom to death with a baseball bat. Yeah. And offer him your hand to assist him find forgiveness. Yeah, so we, crazy. Are, are you are you aware of how, like, awestruck, I mean, people, I mean, for me and people listening have to be to hear that a person could have the wherewithal and ability to do that. I mean, that, that seems a tall task for a 75-year-old person on their deathbed, let alone a 33-year-old person a man who's, yeah. you know, men deal with emotions much in a much more limited way than women. Uh, that's, are you, are we, are you aware of how massive that is? That like, holy smokes, good for you. I mean, there's usually like another part of me that sits over there and looks over here and goes, are you really the one saying those things? Yeah. Cause it, it is crazy. Even as I say it, I've gotten used to saying it, but it's, and it's weird. Cause when you hear it, you're hearing it on the, on the first side, you're hearing it on before you've gone through the forgiveness process with me where there's been complete healing right. and uh, a different l level of transformation. So you're, a listener could be stuck in, what the heck? Why would you forgive him? Well, I didn't forgive him for him. Right. I forgave him for me so I could unshackle and unchain myself from the anger and the bitterness that was keeping me limited and living small and not taking action and beating myself up on the inside. Right. So that was my motivation. So... Uh, we became friends on the phone. Uh, we started talking about every month. When you every say friends, what, what's the definition of friend here? So I would call him on the phone and I would just encourage him and try to help him forgive himself, you know, taking him, you know, with like personal development and spiritual development. Because I imagine when you first call, he's, he's probably thinking, yeah, you're full of crap. This is a ruse. You're, you're tricking me. 
your whatever, how, how many calls do you think it took until he he bought in that you weren't setting him up for a, a, a meeting in an alley somewhere? It took him a couple. He He acknowledged later, he said, when he heard my voice and he heard the words, hey, Bob, it's me, Dean. Because that's exactly how he said it. He told me later, he said, when I heard that, not only did I know exactly who it was immediately, yeah. but he said he started looking out the windows sure. to see if I was outside to right. take it. Because he had heard that there's this, you know, I'm 6'6". Six, six. He heard that there was this tall, angry man that wanted to kill him. Yeah. And he knew he had a right to want, want to feel that way. Yeah, he knew. He didn't even feel defensive. He's just like, yep, if he found me. So, yeah. So you had this series of phone calls and and uh, he he... He goes along with this friendship that you're you're forming, and and so it lasts a year, and then after about a year, he stops calling me back, and I, all of a sudden, I'm calling him every week, like, "Hey, Bob, uh, just checking back in," and he wasn't calling me back, and I was like, had to forgive him again, like in the voice of self righteousness on the inside, like, "How dare you not right. call me, Bob? That's it. After all I've done for you." <laughs> so six months goes by, and I get a call from his girlfriend, and she, <coughs> excuse me, she says, "Hey, will you please uh, be praying for Bob?" He's just attempted suicide. So I just basically knew exactly what to do. And for me, that was to travel. I lived in Seattle, Washington, and he lived in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. So I got on a plane and I went across the country to help save his life. And that sounds crazy to me too. Yeah. But the next thing is going to sound even crazier. So, you know, we always planned on seeing each other in that year that we were talking on the phone, but we thought like five years down the road. So it was actually way sooner. And I thought when we do it, we'll call Oprah. Right. She'll totally be there. It's right. going to be so fun. But Oprah was busy. And yeah. plus like it was, you know, it was right <laughs> away. So I was going to bring a little camera and, f and film myself. Okay. I'm walking into the airport now, but my best friend's cousin was a professional filmmaker and he, he offered to come with me. And so I, we and Bob agrees on by phone. Yeah, I'll do anything, you know, and I thought I would have some video to share with some friends back home. So I get to Tennessee, you know, I encourage him for the weekend and we have these incredible conversations that are just like so trippy. But the, f the final day is this moment that was like my ultimate test. And so I want uh, you viewers out there or listeners, sorry, I want you to picture this situation. I'm in a hotel room. I'm on the edge of a bed. Bob, the man who murdered my mother, is sitting three feet away from me. And out of the blue, he says, Dean, the incident with your mom happened on a Tuesday. But I want to take you back to the Friday before. And over the next 10 minutes, Bob tells me all the details leading up to the day. He tells me the problems with my parents, or his, the arguments between him and my mom, the issues with the money, the issues with us kids, the issues with my mom staying out too late, and maybe with the guy, the drugs, the alcohol, the painkillers, the marijuana. So it's all, all justification. Exactly, over 10 minutes, and he gets to Saturday and Sunday and Monday, then he gets to Tuesday. And I'm sitting there, my heart's beating out of my chest. The man who murdered my mother is sitting three feet away from me, looking me directly in the eyes, and he begins to tell me every detail about the day he did it. Oh, geez, what, what, what's, the, what's the purpose in his mind for, I mean, it sounds like torture. Why, what, what's the benefit for anybody for, to go through this exercise, do you think? I, I always wondered if it was because he just wanted to get it off his chest. So when he gets to the day of looking at me, he tells me how many times he hit her and what her last words were. Wow. So I'm sitting there and I'm taking an, uh, the whole time I'm taking the self inventory in my head and I'm, you know, I'm praying, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm trying to figure out what am I feeling? This is so crazy. And, yeah. and I'm having a, a bit of a, a, a 
a God moment or whatever you want to call it, but it was weird. In the absence of bitterness and unforgiveness and resentments, there's room for something else. And I was sad by the details he was telling me because I missed my mommy, but I felt compassion for him. And it was weird, like, wow, look, look at this, this guy. Like, he, he was making some excuses, which was just sad. Right. And so I picked him up out of his chair. You know, I helped him out of his chair at the end of the discussion, and we hugged it out, and it was crazy. But in that moment, I realized that I had never felt more powerful or more free or more in control or more unstoppable. And it was really the, a, a catalyst moment for me to realize I can, if I could forgive him and go through that, Right. Peace. I can freaking do anything. You can do anything. Absolutely. And I can overcome any sabotaging thought process. Like, you know, for me, bitterness was one of them for years. I can overcome anything and I want to help other people do the same. Right. And so uh, I did. And that was 2008. And I've been on a mission to help people overcome uh, their sabotaging thought processes and thinking habits so they can be free and live in their purpose. So before we get to that, take us through the, the movie making experience. So you have this, this third party there and you've gotten Bob to agree to this. I don't know what Bob was thinking, why he would do that, putting myself in his shoes. I'd be the last thing I'd want is a camera on me. And this is my legacy. Uh, 47 years after I'm dead and gone, this is what people will, if they know my name, this would be why I don't, I don't understand the, the logic behind that, but okay. So he agrees to it. You have your friend come along to film this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what was the experience like? I mean, you're, you're going through this traumatic experience. Was the moment you just talked about, was that recorded? The the 10 minutes where he shared all the details? So, yes, it was. Good Lord. So the camera was there. So if you get to see the movie Live to Forgive, you're going to see this in real time. And it's a documentary, so there's no take twos. Oh, oh, do that scene (laughs) again, you know? Right. So what happened was we get back from Tennessee and we show some filmmakers who, you know, are at the local, uni- and they're like, oh my gosh, dude, you have more here than just like a little film. We showed some investors, they came in and we got some more, some pretty legit filmmakers and they started, rec- and so they said, let's do this. And so we put together a real movie project and Live to Forgive ended up being an award-winning internationally distributed documentary, right? Um, which is pretty sweet. But uh, Bob wanted to do it you know, he didn't know it was going to be turned into a movie. He thought it was going to be a little film for my church because that's what the initial intent was. Yeah. But he, if he thought, he said, when I asked him, he said, I'm willing to do it if it could, if something good can come from it. Now, when the movie actually came out, he's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, wow. I'm, w- I'm wondering if, if he's saying that in the moment because it sounds like the right thing to say versus that's what he really meant. Maybe, because he didn't have any clue that, you know, <laughs> he's, he's the character of the guy who murdered yeah. my mom yeah. in this movie that, you know, people from all around the world have been watching since, right. you know, for the last 11 years. It's crazy. Yeah. Nine years. So what was cool is when there's no bitterness, unforgiveness, and resentment, there's room for something else. So for me, like in my business specifically, I was in a pharmaceutical sales at the time back in 2006-ish, 7, 8, 9, 10. And I ended up just really taking off in my career. I became the the rep of the year for one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world. And then the next two years, I was the top rep on the West half of the United States. And there's a lot of reps. And it's like, okay, I'm really free to be me. Holy crud. Right. And then it just led to a lot of other breakthroughs as well. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a a (coughs) fantastic story. Um, Again, you know, part of me is like speechless, but part of me is like, 
this is such a powerful thing for people to to listen to. And I, you kind of mentioned it earlier. What what place does this have on a on a podcast about entrepreneurs and running a small business and all that kind of stuff? And for me, this has everything to do with it. Um, you know, you you can't possibly uh, lead an organization when you're so preoccupied with resentment and hatred and things like that. And we all have, we all have our legitimate reasons to be unhappy and have resentment. Um, you know, we all go through childhoods that each has their own kind of trauma and we all endure that the best we can and then pass that on to our own children and yeah. <laughs> make them miserable or whatever. And, um, but we all have our baggage and we all have our thing and we all have our reasons why we can't. And we all have our, and this, this, um, you called it, what do you call it? The, the negative talk that's in your head? You, the, it's the small voice. The small voice, yeah. <laughs> I so, call it the small voice challenge. Yeah, so the, we, all, we all have the small voice telling us, you aren't good enough, you don't deserve this, you can't do it, everybody else is better than you, you know. And we all have that voice also telling us they deserve it, they're lucky, they this, they that. Mm-hmm. And that is a major thing that people have to overcome in any kind of leadership role. Uh, and it's one of those things that, we all kind of know, but nobody's allowed to talk about it. I kind of feel like, yeah. And it's and we greatly diminish the influence that has on organizations as a whole, whether it be a church or a charity organization or a business or whatever. Um, that kind of unspoken stuff permeates everything, but nobody's allowed to talk about it, especially men who don't want to talk about this kind of stuff. Right, um, which probably makes up a bulk of people listening right now. Yeah, I would, I would, well, roughly forty-eight percent, if it's you know, oh, cool. along with along with population, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, 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 metrics and things like that. And the other part of this for, for me listening to your story and why I really wanted you here is because, um, well, first of all, you're a cool guy and you're, Thanks, you're, you're a nice guy to spend Thanks, time man. with. Um, and the story I think is, is will help folks kind of unlock their own. Okay. If Dean can overcome this, what's my excuse. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my hope for people listening to this. Yeah. And the other piece is for, for many folks, they don't even have, the ability to identify what the resentment is, is about and it's hidden where yours was thrust out there. You had to, it, it just was this massive thing you couldn't hide from for a lot of folks though, the resentment, they don't even know why they're resentful. They don't even know why they're, they don't even know why they're harboring grudges. They don't even, they can't even put their finger on it. So how do you go about fixing it? Does that make sense? My experience is they, they know who usually they know who. Yeah. They maybe not. I hate my dad. I hate my stepdad. Exactly. My ex-wife, my ex-husband. Yeah. So they know the who. So they know who they need to release the bitterness and unforgiveness. Maybe they don't have all the the what's figured out or how how many levels. But if you know the who, that's a pretty stinking good start. That's a good place to start. And like you mentioned earlier, I don't think people understand the correlation that that has in everything they do in life. It it affects the quality of time you spend with your children. It, it certainly affects it. And you spend time with people at work way more than you do your family. Exactly. And so to have this notion that I can compartmentalize and have resentment against my ex-wife, but that's not going to affect me at work, that, that's foolish. <laughs> so, and, and everyone in the heart of hearts knows that that's foolish. We just, to justify not having to forgive, because it seems people always think it's something you're doing for the other person. Right. And forgetting that, no, you're doing it for you, dude, so you can be a better husband or wife or manager or owner or whatever to be as successful as you can possibly be. Right. You want to clear up your mind and your spirit from anything poisonous. Yeah, and and before we get to all those fancy titles like husband, father, business owner, leader, how about just doing it for you? Because you deserve it. 100%. Whatever your title is. Your title could be the janitor of the... Human. The, the local subway. Who cares? You're yes. a human. You deserve, you deserve happiness. You deserve all this stuff. And people have this little voice you talk about, 
We, all, we tell ourselves all the reasons why we shouldn't and couldn't and can't and won't. And you're here to help folks kind of get through that, right? That's kind of your mission now? Yeah, absolutely. And it, sometimes it's, you know, for a dozen years, I focused on forgiveness. And then I realized as I was coaching people that it's along with the bitterness and unforgiveness, they had a few other sabotaging thought processes. And I'm like, I want to help them with those too. And that's when I became a certified um, coach so I could help people legitimately with any of the thinking habits that are setting them back and keeping them limited. Right. So now that we have the people listening who've uh, figured out that if you can do this, they have no excuse not to, that if you can overcome, you know, helping forgive a man who literally beat your mom to death, yeah. they can't possibly have an excuse for not doing this. Now we understand that they have to. <laughs> what What is the path to? What 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 are, what are the steps? What do you What do you do from you know? Okay, I identify. I'm at a point where Dean's kicked me in the head and said, "Get off your butt and figure this out." Now what? Yeah. So, so this isn't just a podcast about forgiveness and all the steps. I'll just keep give you a couple things that start the process, the jump start, if you will. Yeah. The first thing, you know, the day I stood in the middle of my living room and I was, I was mad at God and I'm like, ah, and I was just crying out. I, I said a couple things and this doesn't have to be a prayer for anyone that this isn't appropriate for, but right. I, I said today I choose to forgive, but I don't know how, and I don't want to, but I need help, you know, and to make a choice without feeling like it is a powerful thing. Cause you know, without feeling like it, explain that. You never get to a place where, you know what, right now I just really feel like forgiving. I just, I just have this <laughs> feeling. No, you don't. You don't, it's, okay. It's, it's like, no, I want to be the best I can be. It's, and so I'm going to, I'm going to make a choice. And when you make a choice and you verbalize your choice, maybe you verbalize it just to yourself, maybe it's, it's to, to your higher power, maybe it's to a friend, whatever, you open up literally a new, a door of a new opportunity to happen, like a, a new dimension and a new possibility in your right. life. And then you have to decide, and then you, you ask for help. So for me, I asked God for help, and I asked my dad for help, my fifth and final dad. And I made a choice to just begin to surrender this bitterness. And for me, you know, that had, and for everybody, it has a whole different way. Some people pray, it, it, some people visualize it, some people, you know, get a book, get a pastor, get a counselor, get some help. A lot of times you need structure and accountability, even in the forgiveness process. Right. I see very few people just on their own. You, when you ask somebody, hey, uh, how's it going with the bitterness towards your dad? And if they say, I'm working on it, I always ask them, oh, really? How are you working on it? Right. What specifically are you doing? And it's never anything, ever. Right. right. So there's get some encouragement. Get some accountability. Get some new tools. Right. And that can look different for everybody. And there's, you know, now we have Google, so you can look up a, th a trillion things. You could go to livetoforgive.com and check out some of those resources. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. Please do that, folks listening. Don't forget to uh, check out liftofforgive.com. Uh, that's a great, great, great avenue for some of the stuff we're talking about. So you first have to recognize that this is something you need to do, and nobody ever wants to do it, but you have to identify that you're doing this for you first and foremost, and all the other ancillary benefits that come are great, but really this is about you. Then you which, make a choice. You which sounds, which choice. sounds counterintuitive, but, you know, makes sense, though. Yeah. You're the one being shackled by the pain of the past. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I've done this exercise a few times with folks um, where resentment and things like that comes up because especially when you have business partners and you have yeah. employees that you've worked with for, you know, coworkers for 10 years or 20 years, things build up, whether you like it or not, things yeah. build up. And I did this thing uh, a first time, you know, three, four years ago, and I've done it several times since. And somebody will have something they just can't get past. Mm -hmm. And so I'll say, okay, let's, let's sit down here and we're going to do a little exercise here. 
I want you to take 30 seconds and resent that person as hard as you can for 30 seconds. Mm. And then I put every ounce of energy you have into just being pissed off and hating that person and, and wishing this and doing that. And uh, I'm going to be over here just quietly doing my thing. You do that. I'm going to time you ready to go. 30 seconds comes and goes. And I say, okay, let's measure the results here. On a scale of 1 to 10, how impactful was that for you? You know, it's usually at 8, 7, 10 sometimes, whatever. Mm. And I say, okay, how impactful was that person for that for the person you were resenting? Well, I don't know, probably a zero or a one. Mm-hmm. Right. So all this energy you're putting into this, who's it affecting? We just put all of our energy into this resentment exercise and yielded zero results for the person you're trying to impact and put all this burden on yourself. And all it's doing is hurting you. They exactly. don't know. They don't, they don't care. They don't know. Maybe they know. They, they don't care. If they care, there's nothing they can do about it. So move on. Let's go. Exactly. All right. Um, so once you get freed up and you get all this extra time from all this energy you're not putting into resenting folks and hating and all that kind of stuff, how do you then transform that into let's go get them? Yeah. Well, first of all, I, if my wife was here, she'd be in the corner trying to flag me down to make sure I say <laughs> this right okay. here, which is that reconciliation is not always practical or appropriate, right? If, uh, so not everyone has to travel across the country and visit the person that they hate hated for their life that's right it's not it's not that's not the the goal the first and that could be your path but the first thing is that you're free and that freedom doesn't depend on your bob it doesn't depend on the other person at all your freedom is between you and god or you and yourself or however you see the forgiveness process so you don't need the person to say sorry you don't need the person to you know do anything they could be dead how can i forgive someone who's dead well you can, because yeah. you're the one who needs to surrender the bitterness. Right. It's something you're hanging on to. So there's that, first of all. So it's like a new question you ask when you're free. You asked, so I asked for years, why did this happen? Why did Bob do this? How could he do this? Why is this happening to me? And what that did was that made me think about me, me, me. Right. Then when I forgave and I was free to do whatever, I, and I had a, a clear mind, I was able to ask a different question, which was, is there anyone else that this, my journey could serve? And I realized like, oh, there's other people still in bitterness and unforgiveness who probably would love some encouragement to be free as well. And I could, so now, you know, we can, I'm uniquely qualified to help people who have bitterness in the same way that your listeners right now are qualified with something they've gone through to help someone else. Sure. And it's not like you have to have complete perfection. You know, sometimes it's like picture yourself getting out of this really deep, muddy pit and you slime up and you're still slimy, but you look in the pit and you see other people in there. You're like, hey, you down there. No, no, no. Don't grab that. No, don't step there. And you can still help them even when it's not perfect. It's like someone going through recovery. You know, they haven't been drinking in, in three months, but someone's just one day sober. They're still able to give a word of encouragement. Right. And the same for me in the forgiveness journey. And now I'm you know, a couple decades along, but yeah. So use what you've gone through to help someone else. Not only does it help you in your healing, but it helps others too, which gives you purpose and it gives you passion. Right. Which is something that, that many folks right now are kind of rudderless. It feels like that they're just kind of drifting and life is doing this to me and I'm doing the best I can. And the, I was telling you about my visit with my dad this weekend. Yeah. You're shrugging your shoulders. Cause I was explaining that I'd gone to see my dad and, and I hadn't seen him in 26 years. And you know, not not nearly the story you have, but uh, you know, there's 
no no shortage of resentment there and and angst and all that kind of stuff. And I really kind of walked away from that encounter just kind of um, feeling sad, like you know, just this this person just felt rudderless and like life was just happening to them and they just did the best they could mm-hmm. and there was no purpose and passion, like you said. And I think that um, I'm incredibly grateful that that you know I have that, <laughs> whether it's misdirected or not is one th- another thing, but. Uh, I do have those things, and I'm I'm yeah. you know very very thankful for that kind of thing. So, um, you decide you want to do this. You you, you start serving others. Um, I'm sure that looks like a different things for all kinds of different folks and what their purpose is and what their passions are and things like that. Um, what's the accountability piece? You talked about in your intro. We talked about accountability and and helping folks perform to the best they can and changing their lives. What are what are some of the things that people use this? newfound energy and passion and, and all that stuff to do. So I, you were asking about the accountability. And so I'll give, uh, I'll challenge everyone who's listening right now to consider this. Uh, and especially entrepreneurs and business owners, they're probably, a lot of us want to be the best we can be. So you, at, at least you hope so. At least if you're listening to this, you probably do, right? Right. So consider that there's going to be four elements that if you have, there's a very high likelihood for you to make a change, a behavioral change, a habit change, a transformation, uh, forgiveness, whatever it is that you're working on. But if you're lacking one of these four elements, it's going to be extremely challenging. So for those of you listening that are trying to make a change in your life right now, ask yourself if you have these four elements. And here's what they are. It's the acronym SEAT or SEAT. It's structure, encouragement, accountability, and training. If you say, I'm going to lose 25 pounds, but don't have any structure, you ain't, you don't have an eating plan. You don't know when you're going to the gym. It's right. just going to fall flat. Right? right. There needs to be triggers. There needs to be reminders, but there also needs to be structure for the EAT, the encouragement and the accountability and the training. Encouragement is like, you know, when you ask your spouse, Hey, could you just encourage me? I'm trying to do this new thing. Well, guess what? Your spouse's life comes up too. So that encouragement can go away. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be flying to 10,000 feet. Uh, please know that we're going to have some turbulence at 2,000 feet. So please uh, fasten your seatbelt and stay seated. When you're making a change, you it's dis, it's uncomfortable. You right. will experience discomfort at 2,000 feet. And if you don't have someone saying, remember why you're doing this. You can do this. Remember, this is what you chose. Someone who's really going to stand with you. This is why I became a coach because I realized that coffee, can I pick your brain conversations, weren't transformational. You need to walk with somebody arm in arm. And if it's a coach, if it's just a close friend who's totally committed, get that encouragement for 2,000 feet. The accountability is the same. Most people are more, more likely to be accountable to someone else than they are themselves. Right. Right? Because we've let ourselves down so many times. Uh, I guess I'll just cheat. Who cares? Yeah. But accountability can tomorrow. be... Tomorrow. I'll yeah. get to it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'll, start it, I'll start again tomorrow. Or Monday. Monday. Yeah, 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 Monday. So accountability could be uh, a reward if you keep your promise. It could be... Uh, consequence if you don't or it could just be knowing someone's going to call and say brian did you do it right you know and you're more likely to do it and then the last is just new tools and training the t is for ongoing tools and training a lot of times a breakthrough occurs with just one new idea like oh really just do that and then have encouragement and accountability behind structure behind it Ah." and so you realize you don't need 59 new tools you just need a couple really powerful ones with structure and encouragement and accountability if it's forgiveness that's awesome but let's face it you've got people on this who are listening to this that have all kinds of personal or spiritual development things they want to break through i highly recommend that they look of whether or not they have the seat baby seat <laughs> I, I i agree with you 100 that if you know all the the four core things you have there i think you've nailed it um and generally 
just in people I've dealt with and myself in different phases of my life, um, there's times where I don't have any of those, or and we don't have any of those where we we have wishes, um, and we have dreams and and hopes, mm-hmm. but they don't they don't turn into action, they don't turn into a plan, they don't turn into knowing your weaknesses on accountability and and overcoming that. I'm I'm a prime example of what you're talking about where. I, if somebody else is holding me accountable, I'm much more likely to finish something than I am myself. Right. And so I know that. And so I hire coaches and I, I, I find mentors and I, I work with people who can help me do that and I'll reciprocate and do that for them. And, mm-hmm. and it, it works out very well. And that's in, you know, in my, the business part of my life, that's helped because I have two business or now three business partners, but started with two and you have to perform. Otherwise you get that knot in your stomach when you don't. And, Nobody likes being sent to the principal's office for not doing your homework, right? So, yeah. people who don't have the the seat to SCAT, it's almost like you just really haven't made a choice to take it seriously, right? If there's no structure behind your the change you want. Forget about it. You know, I just want to be a better husband or a wife, or I want to have a better relationship. Like, okay, set a date night, you know, and have people holding you accountable to not being a jacklick when you get home every day because you're right. stressed out. Yeah, so you need it. Maybe you need it. How, now that you mentioned the stress thing, how, how does all this relate to stress? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing there's a pretty big piece of it there, but walk me through it. I mean, uh, so I come home, I'm stressed out. I'm stressed out about something or somebody, mm-hmm. and that can probably happen, you know, any day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take it out on the person I love the most, my wife. Of course. And or, my children mm-hmm. and, and whoever else is close by. Um, how, so you're, we've been talking so far about one monumental forgiveness yeah. thing. But there's a there's 643 of these things a day also. Yeah. What what's the process like to go through this daily and not just overcoming one massive challenge? I hated my stepdad, who was an alcoholic or whatever, or I hated my stepdad who, you know, abandoned us and left us destitute. What, whatever the story is for whatever people are listening, but there's that big thing, and then there's, you know, this person cut me off in traffic, and the guy was late to the meeting, and my lunch was cold, and yeah, you know, yeah, blah blah blah. That's a great question. So it's kind of like you don't want to be a one-trick pony. So if I forgave the man that murdered my mom, and then I was a jerk to my wife, my <laughs> my current wife of 19 years, all the time. I, I, I would recommend just, like, just saying wife, by the way. Yeah, not, sec- my not second current and final wife. N- wife, but I usually yeah. say second and final. So we've been together forever, and we love each other. My whenever. current, my current wife. Well, because I mentioned my first wife. No, I, I get it, but it just saying it. Just, uh, yeah, I think but. you're right, actually, 100. <laughs> percent So my second and final wife. So. It's a decision that the kind of person that you are. So for, I bet several of your listeners has probably read the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. And it makes a distinction, the three levels of behavioral change. And I'll make this quick. You know, we got all the time you want. There's outcomes. I want to lose 25 pounds or I want to be a better husband. I know that I want to do this. And we always know that, like the New Year's resolution is the outcome. The second layer, we figure, the, the smart ones figure it out. Okay, I need to set up some habits and some processes behind it. Okay, I need to put my gym clothes next to the coffee maker. I need to get up earlier. I'm going to go to the gym three times a week. But what we don't do is oftentimes we don't address the third layer, which is your identity. And that is what you believe about yourself. And if you believe that you're lazy and can't stick to anything, you believe that at the core who you are, but then you set up this exercise program with your friend for 12 weeks and there's accountability and there's encouragement and there's structure. So you keep to it. You lose your 25 pounds. Yes, I won the bet. But at the heart of who you are, you believe that you're lazy and can't stick to anything. In three months time, you'll l- gain all that yeah. weight back because that's who you are. And you deserve to be the fat kid who gets picked on. Exactly. So what happens is 
you have to make an identity transformation. This isn't like I said, I had to, so I did struggle with this. I forgave Bob, but I still had to forgive my, you know, in my current relationships, I had some forgiveness. I'm like, I had to make a clear distinction of this is who I am. And I decide I'm a forgiving person. I'm a loving person. I'm a grace giving person. So that, that meant affirmations. It meant visualization for me. It meant also meant prayer. There was structure behind that identity change. So when things come up and stress comes up, my brain goes, wait a minute, you're acting like a jerk, Dean. Hold on. This is not who you are. And then I'm like, okay. And then I say, I'm sorry. And I slowly am able to make that change. Uh, at first reactively, like, oh crap, I'm, I'm being a jerk, but I don't want to be. And then eventually you find ways to be proactive and intentional. And that comes with having triggers and markers set up. For instance, when I put my car, just one example, when I put my car into park, I know I'm about to go into my house every day and there's going to be two kids. They could be crazy, 11 and eight. They could be you know, not doing their chores and not doing their homework and doing everything bad. And my wife could be, her hair could be crazy and the dishes aren't done. It could be horrible. But I'm making a decision in advance, intentionally and proactively, that I'm walking in that house. I'm going to be courageous, loving, inspirational, and present. And I sit with those four identification. Those are my trait triggers is what I call them. And I mm. sit there and I picture myself walking into a crazy home. But I picture myself because I program my brain to be those four traits. <sighs> my brain believes what I tell it because it's just like a computer. And I walk in yep. and I'm ready. Gotcha. Because that's the structure I've put in place to be the person I want to be that matches up to who I'm committed to being. So there's there's two there's two groups of folks right now listening that I want to talk to or, want, or hope you want to talk to. All right, I'm going to ask you to talk to. So in my experience, when you talk about this kind of stuff to a group of people, let's say we're standing in front of 100 people having this conversation, roughly 83 and a half of them will say, oh, yeah, you're talking to the guy sitting next to me. This mm-hmm. doesn't apply to me. This applies to my husband or Always. my my father or my whatever. Mm-hmm. The the in my experience, the vast majority think you're talking to the other person. Of course, <laughs> right? Always. So, what do you say to those folks who are right now sitting here telling themselves, "Oh, I, my my wife or my husband should listen to this. This is great. It's great information for them. They need to do this." Here's what I would say to them, listeners. I have an exercise for you. Would you please close your eyes or just think really hard? Not you, while you're driving. What I'm about to say. If you're driving, don't. I want you to picture the faces of the people in your life as vividly as you can. Let them come up. Start with the people closest to you. Ah, let the faces, just distinct faces. And then I want you to ask yourself, is there anybody's face that when you see it, you get a little twinge of bitterness? You get a little angry. Keep picturing the faces. Is there anybody that when you see their face, you start to relive the pain they caused you? Maybe you even start thinking about what you'd like to do to them or rehearsing what was done or the consequences that it had. Maybe you see yourself. Maybe you're the one that you're having trouble forgiving. If you can say yes or see anyone for anything, I'm talking to you. Boom. And so so I sit in, you know, I've sat in plenty of rooms with lots of pastors and like spiritual leaders with fancy clothes on and I always I'll do that exercise and then I'll say okay everybody close their eyes so that you can't see who answers is there anyone who couldn't picture anybody raise your hand if you or raise your hand if you picture if you pictured one or more and everyone raises their hand two or more everyone raises their hand because we're human dude yeah we're humans it doesn't matter how enlightened you are life keeps lifing Brian right so I'm talking to you, bottom line. Talking, yeah, right. And, and the next group of people I, I, I would like you to uh, take a minute and talk to is 
the folks who, um, so I, I, I kind of figure folks listening to this, some folks think it's like, yes, you're speaking to my soul when you say this stuff and I buy in a hundred percent and I believe this and I may not have all the mechanics down of how to do it, but I, I really see the value in what you're talking about. And then there's the other people who probably by now tuned out 40, 40 and a half minutes ago. They probably stopped listening. But the ones who are like, this is all pie in the sky, BS. Eh, you know, we, we all, you know, just sit your head down and get to work. And, and uh, no, it's, life isn't perfect for everybody. And just quit your complaining and just get on with it. And, yeah, the guys who are just throwing their hands up and maybe don't see the value of this and, and kind of are asking, what, what's in it for me? You know, what? At the end of the day, what what's why should I go through this exercise? Why should I go through this this whole thing and risk being hurt and people rejecting me and then I feel worse than I do now and all that kind of stuff? What, what would you say to somebody who who had that thought process right now? Well, my knee jerk response is if they're still listening but have that, then they're it's probably like you can bring a horse to water but you can't make him drink. Right. It's kind of probably one of those. But I won't give up on that listener who's still listening. It's like this. There's a there's an adage in the in the forgiveness world with us forgiveness people we you know <laughs> unforgiveness bitterness is like drinking a glass of poison and expecting the other person to die yeah it's only hurting you dude you know there some people don't don't aren't aware of their the bitterness on the inside until they get triggered uh, someone says something that reminds them of something or their kids do something and and then they realize oh man that is an exacerbated response like holy smokes oh. Because I have an issue with controlling women because my mom was, you know, right. or whatever it is. It's like, man, that's not the person you want to be. If you're listening to this, you want to be the best you can be, whether it's in business or your life. And I'm telling you, it's undeniable. If you're, re- if you're rejecting the fact that you should uh, justify living with unforgiveness, bitterness, and resentment, you're a damn fool and you need to change there. How you doing? <laughs> now they're not listening. No, no, that's right. The, the six people who are who still listening have now turned off. As long as they know it's not for the other person. Right then it, it should free you from being stubborn. It's just yeah. hard. If, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it, and this wouldn't even I wouldn't even be on the show. Right. It's hard, dude. That's why I say you need some structure set up and encouragement and accountability and some new tools. Right. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I shifted uh, my brain to, I don't even know how, I, I couldn't tell you a date. I couldn't tell you how many years ago it was, but it was, you know, I don't know. Let's say 10 years for easy math. I don't know how long ago it was. But, you know, there's, uh, and I have, I'm a person who has high expectations of myself. I have higher expectations of others, sometimes higher of others than myself, mm-hmm. sometimes higher of myself than others. Yeah. Um, and I would find myself frustrated and perpetually disappointed by people who didn't do things to my standards and, and myself who didn't do things to my standards and things like that. And I began just um, kind of going through this exercise of just reminding myself, people by and large, there's exceptions, but people by and large want to do well. They want to do the right thing. They want to they, they stop and help the person who has a flat tire on the side of the road for the most part. Therefore, people by and large are doing the best they can every day. And especially having children and going through the fun of having teenagers and the, the, the angst they feel and, the, and how they're just pissed off at their parents because because rules exist and you're the messenger to tell them that. And having gone through that experience of, of kids who just, you know, are just angry with you just because you exist – um, and that really helped me kind of transform and say, okay, well, I'm not a bad dude. I'm trying to do the right thing. They don't like what I'm doing. It doesn't mean I'm wrong. Um, and I kind of use that to look at, at how I saw people around me, you know, the person who cut you off when they're driving, you know. Okay, so they made a mistake. Who cares? They're human. They're doing the yeah. best they can. They didn't, they didn't wake up in the morning saying, I can't wait to see Brian and, and smash into him on the freeway. That wasn't their goal. Exactly. We all make mistakes, but we're doing the best we can. I th- and I, I, for me, I just found if you just give people the benefit of the doubt, 
of, yeah, they're not perfect. Yeah, they did some bonehead things. Yeah, they continue to make bad choices over and over again. Given given the choice, they probably wouldn't choose this path. Therefore, they must be doing the best they can because you wouldn't knowingly choose a bad path, by and large. Yeah, and I bet there's listeners who are trying to find the exception right now. Like, well, no, I know a guy. Okay, there's (laughs) exceptions. That's totally understandable. But I call that grace. Like just giving other people oh, it's just grace, you know, right. humans. Sometimes I'm the one looking at my phone on accident and doing something stupid on the road. But yet it's the thing that drives me nuts when other people. But sometimes sometimes I'm the Bob, so to speak. Right. And sometimes I'm the other guy and realize we all mess up. So I love it. Grace, man. Sometimes we give, need to give others and ourselves a lot more grace. Yeah. And then and the, the last piece of that then is having the same set of rules for others that I have for myself. So if I choose to have a high standard for somebody else, then I better damn well have the high standard for me. Or if I'm going to have a low standard for me, then I better extend that low standard to everybody else. That makes sense? It does. Otherwise, I, it's a hypocritical thing. Yeah, and the, and the hypocrisy of having one set of expectations for the rest of the world and a different set of rules for yourself, that I think, I, I find that I just get a lot of anger and I get pissed when I hear people talk like that. It's like, well pick a horse here and that's what we'll all operate. Not mm-hmm. you get to do it this way. And then we get to do it this way. That, sure. Uh, and I think that kind of mentality leads to this unforgiveness and hanging on to resentment and all that kind of stuff you're talking about. Touche. Um, anything else you want to say before we cut out of here? I'll give you You've one. shared a lot of great stuff with us and I really appreciate it. I'll give you one last scene and then a challenge to your audience. Okay. So I don't usually talk about this, but uh, it was about a year after Bob attempted suicide and I got to be with him that I was speaking to an audience about maybe two or 300 people and I tell my forgiveness story and at the end, now picture yourself being in the audience. You heard the story and you're sitting there and I say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome to the stage a friend of mine, somebody who I love. Please help me welcome Bob. And he stands up right now. He's sitting right next to you and he stands up. So this really happens. So he comes up on stage and it's trippy, right? Like, oh my gosh. And we have our arms around each other, which is again, trippy. And I'm in this moment, this surreal moment. This is like a year after the suicide attempt. And I did, this was my first coaching client in, from 2008, so to speak. And we worked on this. Uh, you know, he went from wanting to kill himself. He was self-sabotaging and he stands up there and he shares how he has a purpose now. He didn't, he didn't think he was too cool, but he realized that he had a purpose and it was for him to help other people uh, who've done really stupid things to be able to still have purpose in this world. It was really interesting. And when I saw him, so I'm looking at him with my arm around him, picture, picture holding your, having your arm around somebody and looking over at him, they're really close. And we're looking at each other in the eyes. And I, at first I was like, oh my gosh, this is the face of the guy. And we're up in front of people and they're standing and clapping. This is the face of the guy that caused all those problems. And I'm like, all in this quick moment, reliving all this pain and the tears and the coping mechanisms and the drugs and the divorce. And then I snap out of it. And I'm like, and this guy is also because of a choice I made. There's two to 300 people in the audience that are getting a new possibility in their life because I decided to look this guy in the eyes and make a choice to overcome. And he represented for me my biggest small voice challenge. And I would challenge your audience to take this small voice challenge, whatever it, it may be bitterness, but it may be something else. It may be um, a lack of confidence. It may be procrastination, it, whatever it is. I give you the small voice challenge to take it by the horns, to set up some structure, some encouragement, some accountability and get some new tools. You do it with the coach. I know a great one on the line right now. 
whatever it is for you, find some help. All right. So you just you just prompted two questions for for me to ask you. And if you have to go, tell me you have to go, and we'll we'll, we'll come back to this some other time. But um, first one, okay, you're standing on the stage with this guy, and you said you have your arm around him. He has. We have our arms around each other, right? like okay. two buddies. My first thought was, okay, sitting here talking to me right now, it's all it's all feels very good to have gone through this process. How in the world are you standing on the stage with your arm around this man, not feeling like you betrayed your mother somehow? Great question. Thanks for asking it. I hope that lots of people are thinking that. So picture this. You have children. If you have children on this line, this is perfect. Picture yourself going to heaven. Let's say heaven. That's for you. You're in a magical place if you're not a heaven and hell guy. And you're looking down on earth and you see your kids or you're and you see them. And they are super unforgiving because of what happened to you. And they're bitter and their relationships are tormented and they have no peace because bitterness, unforgiveness, and resentment lays havoc in their minds. And you would ask yourself, do you want your kids to be free or do you want your kids to stay really angry and bound and shackled? And you as a parent would undoubtedly want your kids to be free and live the best life. And with that enlightened perspective, you would know You would never, it would never be a betrayal of my mom. It would be exactly what she would want. She wants her Deanie Weenie Chili Beanie to be the best he could be. And the only way through that is forgiveness. There's no way you can live in the fullness of your potential without making forgiveness a priority. Okay. And and that's the perfect answer. Exactly what I expected. And by the way, we didn't rehearse this beforehand, right? I I literally just watched me write this question down. Uh, That leads to my last question then, which is, I think for most people myself included, all of these things sound fantastic sitting right here, right now, far removed from these situations that cause us anxiety and hurt and, and resentment and things like that. In the moment where we need to remember it most, it's the most difficult to, for us to remember these things. What is the, did, did you have a cue? Did you have like where you're rubbing your wedding finger? Did you have a string tied around your finger? What was your, what, what can people physically or mentally do to remind themselves in that moment where they least want to hear this, you need to snap out of this and, and pull your head out and get back in the game, so to speak. Where they, and there's no coach there to tell them that. Nobody can tell you when you feel this way. Nobody can tell you when, it, when you need to, except you. And we can all look at these things 10 minutes later or 10 days later or 10 years later and go, yeah, I really kind of should have just snapped two right there. But in the moment, you can't or don't or won't. What... How do, you, how do you overcome that? Because I think people all have great ideas after the fact and before the fact. Yeah. It's that moment where you need to do it where you, you, you can't or won't. Which I don't know which it is. Maybe it's both. Yeah. What's the mental cue or, or what can people do to, to remember in that moment, now is when I need to step up? Big question. It's a big question. So many different answers. But I'll, I'll, you need to program your mind in advance. It just has to be, you have to think to yourself, I am a person who is constantly going to be priming my mind to be the best for some it's forgiveness for some it's confidence for some it's um, overcoming uh, procrastination right so it could be so many different things by what you program in your mind in the morning what you read what you listen to uh, what you speak what you pray about what you visualize so for me yeah I had a routine every day of speaking about and praying and reading about forgiveness that was my thing I was getting new tools to get new strengths, but man, uh, changing your identity takes time. Forgiveness never happens in a moment. Most people want it to just go away. Okay, I'm going to do the thing he said, and I'm just going to do it. Uh, ah. it. Takes time, brother. It takes time, sister. 
So it's a process. It's not about being perfectly unforgiving towards everybody, but there's power in the process. Right. Setting up triggers, reminders. So as with most things that are worthwhile in life, you're saying there's no short and easy answer here. It takes practice. Yeah. It takes repetition. It takes desire. It takes the, the seat stuff. What's your strategy? What's your plan? What's your all that stuff? Um, you were training. looking for the magic pill, and I'm saying well, I no, I, I I'm a firm believer that nothing worthwhile has a magic pill, um, but I am also a firm believer that people are all looking for magic pills, yeah. and so I kind of felt like it was my obligation to ask you the obvious question that most people would be asking, which is, well, how'd you do that? Because I want to do that. Yeah. Well, the answer is. It took you a dozen years of practice by that point to get to that point. Yeah, and for me, I had a couple of people who were my quote-unquote coaches. One was my, my pastor dad, who was also a counselor guy. So that was a clear advantage, right? And we were on a path. I'm going to be completely free because I, I want to inspire others. And so you put a plan together, you know. I'm mm-hmm. going to pray about it. I'm going to read about it. I'm going to um, speak and visualize about it. I'm going to see myself releasing the unforgiveness and the bitterness. It's something I'm hanging on to. I'm getting rid of it. I'm letting it go. I can see that and I can feel that. And there's something that very real that happened in my, my mind, my spirit, if you will. It was powerful. Right. Well, with that, I think we'll uh, wrap it up. Dean, you are a amazing person. I couldn't be happier for you. I'm sorry about what you went through, but Thanks, Holy man. smokes, what a what a path you're on, and uh, you're doing great things for people. I'm I'm super proud to know you, and I think you're just an awesome dude and doing great things. Uh, don't forget to check out LiveToForgive.com. That's where you can find the award-winning uh, documentary that Dean's talking about. Again, that's LiveToForgive.com. You can reach Dean at DeanSmithCoaching.com, or you can just go to DeanSmithCoaching.com and check out what he's all about and what he's got going on there. Uh, Dean, thanks a lot for coming in. I really appreciate it. I hope you had as good a time as I did. Um, Next week, we're going to have Mark Robinson in on to uh, talk about his tremendous journey. And you're going to want to tune in and listen to this. Mark has a fantastic story. Um, not all that different from Dean's, actually. Uh, uh, he, he owns Pro Tool Supply. He went through a, a spell in life where he had some pretty rough, rough roads, and now he's come out you know, on the other side, and he's, he's doing very well, and he's got some very powerful things to talk to you about and how he did it. And you're going to leave that one much like this one. You're going to be uh, sitting there saying... You know, these guys are overcoming what they have. What's my excuse? And that's really my, my hope with these two guys having them on back-to-back like this. So check out next week, Mark Robinson with Pro Tool Supply. That's all for today. Thanks again, Dean, for coming in. Thanks, Brian. And we will talk to you all next week.